just finished chanting Shu Jo Mu Hen Se Gan Do. No matter how innumerable all sentient beings are, I vow to enlighten them all. No matter how innumerable all sentient beings are, I vow to enlighten them all. Have you given any thought to that? A lot of people. We come here and we practice Zazen. We're engaged in formal Zen practice. One of the aspects is Shujo Muhen Segando. If you're trying to become enlightened just for your benefit, it's not going to happen. There's no such thing as individual enlightenment. There's a fellow once said to me, there's an awful lot of deadbeats in the Sangha. What happened at the moment that he said that is he removed himself from the Sangha. There's me, and there's the Sangha. No such thing, yes? We are not separate. Very difficult situation, very difficult situation. I was at a meeting recently and there's a fellow sitting directly across from me on this side of the table. And he's such a pain, twisted, hurting individual. He's in agony. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, no thank you. Oh, no thank you. That's after 40 years of practice, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't want nothing to do with him. <laughs> Some of the people in the Sangha are deadbeats. Not only deadbeats, but they're in agony. They're in pain. They're in misery. <laughs> and I'd rather go home and go to bed. Yes? That thought of, I'd rather go home and go to bed is the problemo. Mm -hmm. At that moment, I'm no longer contacting my compassion. Mm -hmm. Created an illusion of separation. He's over there in his pain, and I'm safely over here in my comfort zone. And all my work must be to not let him enter that comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Now, I wasn't in formal practice at that moment, but I did have the opportunity to see my mind at work. And that's what Zen practice is about. We're not here to get ourselves or put ourselves into a Buddhist meditation straitjacket. Where I will get away from and not be part of everybody and everything else. Because they smell. They don't look good. They have funny hairdos. Well, I, on the other hand, mm -hmm.
The practice isn't to try and make all the thoughts come to a screeching halt. I doubt that you'll ever do that. What you can do is find a place where the mind comes to rest and it's no longer grasping each one of these thoughts. We sit, we find that place of rest, and here comes a thought that just catches our attention for whatever reason. It's boring sitting there. We want some excitement. So we grab the thought. Now here we are at the roulette wheel in Las Vegas. And that can play out for a long time, right? You get a whole scenario going on. You see that, you let go. Now the interesting point is that the moment that you let go, you see the insubstantiality of that thought. Right here you are, here at rest. Ooh. And off you go to Las Vegas. And you could be there for two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. And all of a sudden you wake up to the fact that you're off here and you're not here. And bingo, you let go and you're back to meditating. The thought just dissolves. It's gone. It's not real. That's the work of meditation. And we like it a little more spectacular. We want bells and lights and angels and all sorts of... And that might happen. That could happen. But that too will pass. Mm -hmm. Well then, what is it about Zen that we're involved with? Well, eventually that comes back to you. Mm -hmm. I'm practicing Zen because according to the sutra, it says on page 422, if you, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. That's the point where you throw out the sutras. And you have to replace the sutra with, this is why I'm practicing. This is why I'm engaged. This is why I'm here. This is why I got up this morning. We move out of the activity of being a robot. The alarm goes off, we set it off for a five minute snooze, then it wakes up again. Then we mechanically walk in and urinate and wash our face. It's all mechanical. We've been turned into zombies. We've lost that playful aspect. Somewhere we got put into this box of conventional wisdom. And the primary activity we're engaged in here is bringing to full maturity our intuitive wisdom. Now that's a very intriguing aspect of Zen. When you first hear about that, intuition seems sort of very mystical, otherworldly if you want. Ooh, what's outside the box? Ooh. And then you may have some sort of a psychic experience, right? The phone rings and you know that's Aunt Tulip. Sure enough, it's Aunt Tulip. You're thinking about Uncle John. You're walking down the street, you turn the corner, there's Uncle John. 
Oh, that was getting very interesting. Mm -hmm. Now I'll run off to the American Society of Psychical Research. And I'll get tested. That's not what it is. What do we mean when we say manifest your Buddha nature? That's what we're talking about in this situation. How do you manifest your Buddha nature? If that causes you to be inclined to... <coughs> you ain't got it. Hmm? Manifesting Buddha nature is an effortless project. If you're very involved in intellectually, psychologically, theologically, philosophically, sociologically, trying to manifest your Buddha nature, you're off course. Buddha nature doesn't require any tremendous effort. Hmm? The problem with this, and it's something Tony's been talking about lately, he says, I don't like these quick Zen answers. And there's something to be looked at in that. There's a difference between spontaneity and reacting. If the quick answer comes from reacting, you're not manifesting your Buddha nature. Odds are there's something threatening that you quickly respond to to try and ward off the threat. With spontaneity, there's no sense of threat. There's an openness, a spaciousness, a freedom a lack of fear. Hmm? What do you say to all this? Not you. <laughs> you started this conversation by saying we're all connected to the silent. We can't separate. What I continue to have difficulty with is I'm, I'm connected to the solutions, not the problems. I get stuck when I see something negative. I get stuck in identifying with that or pointing it out or being connected to it. But it's much more difficult for me to realize that I'm connected to the source of the power that makes life beautiful, good, and happy. And I'll pray for your soul. No extra charge. The ego doesn't want us connecting to that. The ego's job is to distract us from that. Often we talk about what's your deepest secret. Sex with a pussycat. We're not talking about that kind of stuff. You can go that route. Hmm? Have sexual fantasies with marshmallows. You can go that whole route looking at all the dirty, dark stuff. The real secret is that we're afraid of our magnificence, we're afraid of that part of us that's connected to the absolute in an unlimited, unrestrained, unrestricted manner. Hmm? 
If you like Christianity, there's a statement in the Bible by Jesus Christ that says, these things that I have done, you can do also, and even greater things than that. Wow. Wow. Now there's a challenge. And that's the part that we're frightened of. There's a period in my life where if people call me an idiot, a jerk, a no good, I'm used to that. But you say, what a nice guy, you're really good, uh oh, oh, <laughs> now we're in trouble. What are you up to? What's up your sleeve? You're not saying those things because you, no, no, you got a plan. It took years to be able to accept compliments. Now I recognize my magnificence. Most of you don't, but that's all right, too. I'll be patient. You'll overcome your handicaps. The reason you have trouble seeing the magnificence is you have trouble seeing the magnificence. Yes? Just like I did. I'm looking at that guy and, oh, he's so twisted, he's so bent, he's so hurt. Please, please. I don't want to look at the magnificence. There's something magnificent in there. If there wasn't, it couldn't go on going the way it's going. Behind the ugliness is something magnificent. Within ignorance, there's some form of intelligence at work. Grab a hold of that one and put that in your pipe. Within ignorance, there is some form of intelligence at work. It isn't free-floating. There's something going on behind that. My son likes to play stupid. Then he doesn't have to do things. I'm too stupid, I can't do it. What say you to all this? The vow to uh, enlighten all sentient beings seems to be an ego statement. Could be, absolutely, unequivocally. But if there's no separation, yes. then I just have to enlighten one sentient being. Yes. If you're working hard to become a saint, it isn't going to happen. A real saint isn't working hard to become a saint. He's doing what saints do. Feeding the hungry, helping to heal the wounded. He has no interest in becoming a saint. If you're all worked up to save all sentient beings, you're two or three steps off course. It has to happen naturally. Now, that fellow I was talking about, if now in my mind I shift gears and say, oh, no, 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 I've got to work to help this guy, I'm just as bad. It has to happen spontaneously without any kind of calculation. Oh, that poor soul, poor soul, let me go and stroke him. It should just manifest. You feel that right now the right thing is go over, put your arms around him and hold him. Or maybe the right thing is to leave him alone. But it's each moment, 
You know, we like to get a certain deal, a certain rule, a certain way we should behave in every situation. And it isn't like that. You know? Maybe the right thing in this situation is to hug him. Maybe the right thing is to leave him alone. Maybe the right thing is to chastise him. It's different for each situation. And we don't like that. We'd like something fixed and permanent. The Buddhist point of view is that a satisfactory sense of self can never be constructed as a frustrating and futile endeavor. Can the magnificent state also be the ordinary state? Absolutely. At first it seems magnificent. When Padre Pio first got his stigmata, wow! We owe! <laughs> now he's healing people and holy mackerel. Thirty years later, it's, I go, fault. I got to go down with them already, and I got, I, and I want to, I, I, And then it just becomes ordinary. That's what I do. This is what I do. Because I think that, in my mind, magnificence gets equated with tremendous amounts of effort, tremendous amounts of going out. That's what we're just talking about. No. 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 But magnificence does mean confrontation. Do it again? Magnificence does mean confrontation with fear. With confronting fear. No, at that point you'd be on that already. The fact that we're confronting fear is indicative of the fact that there's still ego. There's something ego's afraid of. You get beyond the beyond. Think about that. All right, stop thinking about that. Let's go <laughs> off something else. Did you think about that? What did you think? <laughs> I was thinking about Applejack. I was thinking about Applejack. This song is a bunch of dead boots. <laughs> <laughs> but the sangha laughs a lot, and that's a good thing. I've been in sanghas where they don't laugh. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's <laughs> so serious. Practicing sand. You don't have hemorrhoids. And that's what happens. It's one of the side effects of poor Zen practice. You get hemorrhoids. Because you're trying so hard. You put pressure on your anal sphinx <laughs> That The Buddha said that. Do not put pressure on anal sphinx Very bad. Uh, on CNN they had a special it's called Buddha's Warriors. Yeah. And uh, they interviewed the Dalai Lama and other people, other Buddhist monks. And there was one monk who said that the Buddha taught if somebody's violent towards you, you cannot be violent back. So he just let people beat him, the Chinese soldiers. And another one said, well, that's true, but I have to put that aside and I have to fight back. Mm -hmm. So here you have two people, mm -hmm. same teachings, operating mm -hmm. differently. 
How do you like that? I like it. <laughs> when I was a young fella, go to church, and as we're marching, leaving church, they would have us sing, Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Huh? In the name of the Prince of Peace, go out and kill. I don't understand that, please. I'm only seven years old and it don't compute. What are you telling me to do? What are you telling me? Please, I'm seven years old and this is befuddling. Warriors. Somebody said that to Tik Nahan. Said, Tik, you are a. <laughs> Was it something I said? Well, you called him Tik. I called him that because it's his name. Tik Nahan. He said, Tik, you are a general in an army. And he said, Absolutely not. Don't think that way. Out to slay the infidels. That's just more religious warfare. Where's the compassion? I'll kill you in the name of Christ. I'll kill you. I'll beat you up in the name of Buddha. Now, what Dean brought up is a very difficult position. Hmm? Tick likes to say, even if man is disemboweling me, man is not the enemy. Christ likes to say, love your enemies. Well, well, okay. Are you willing? Are you willing? When the fella who killed Gandhi killed him because he felt that Gandhi was an imposter. He wasn't a real prophet. And he says, I'll prove it. If he's a real prophet, when I shoot him, he'll bless me. Now watch. When I shoot him, watch what happens. And the guy shot him, and Gandhi blessed him. And he said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes? If somebody shoots you, are you going to bless them? Mm -hmm. I didn't even want to talk to this guy across the table from me. So are you saying no act is inherently good or bad? It depends on I would think so. But the monk did not say, I endorse war and I like to kill people because this is the right way to do it. So action, we can take many different actions. You have to use your wisdom to figure out. Intuitive wisdom, that's why we're here to bring our intuitive wisdom to full maturity. Then you know whether to stroke, make them feel better, or to reprimand. We're told of a story of the Buddha throwing a guy out of a boat. I asked him to get me that story two years ago. He's still looking. <laughs> what? The Buddha? 
threw him out of the boat? My God. Jesus Christ got angry and was throwing things around in the temple? Oh, my God. So it isn't as clear-cut as we'd like it to be. And the solution has to be found only in compassion. The intellect isn't going to do the job. The primary component of intellect is not compassion. The primary component of your true nature, your Buddha nature, your Christ consciousness, whatever term you like, is compassion. If you're practicing Buddhism, and you can't, that makes you feel you can't go into a Christian church and participate, there's something wrong with the way you're practicing Buddhism. Whatever it is that we might label as the essence of Zen is present in a Christian church or a Jewish temple or a Hindu temple or in Barack Obama. It's this constant separating. I'm good and holy and I'm quite above him. That moment of separation is where the compassion flies out the door. Are you talking about Jesus, what Jesus said, and about ordinary people? I was thinking about a movie I saw about a priest in Hawaii in the 1800s, and they say, would anybody volunteer to go to this Malachi, this island where lepers. No, nothing but lepers. Damien the leper. And he'll, ne and he'll never be able to come back. Yeah. And this guy is so ordinary. He's like the most nondescript guy. He says, oh, okay, I'll go. And there's no like light from heaven or bells on the soundtrack. He just does it. But we get caught up, we read about him. Oh boy. Okay. Aha. Now the ego's got it. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do that. There were people who used to run off to see Mother Teresa. In fact, there was a fellow upstate when I was living there, lived in Canaan. Made a whole deal out of packing his bags and he's going to go over to India and work with Mother Teresa. And off he went. And about four months later, he was back. He said, she threw me out. She said, there's people in Brooklyn or Canaan need your attention. She says, odds are, if you stay here, you're going to get sick and you'll be part of the problem rather than part of, the, part of the... You're not accustomed to what's going on here and you'll get sick. Go back to your place and help those people. But he was now, you know, <laughs> look at me. I'm packing my bags and off I'm going. And she threw him out. Bloom where you're planted is a saying you hear in Zen often. I'm finished. <laughs> That's all. That's all. <laughs>